Jesus. Okay, so today we are now going to talk about the different definitions that leadership has been given by some key people in the church, and we're going to redefine their definitions. We're going to put the Bible on what they've been saying, and I don't know if I'll be able to get to all three, but the three that I, I have in my paper is um, John Maxwell, Bill Hybels, and Rick Warren. To me, those are the three most popular leadership uh, people in the church right now. When people are, are reading books on leadership, nine times out of ten, they're going to be talking about John Maxwell. When they're talking about organizing a big church or wanting church growth and listening to the, the pro, uh, you know, the one that's the go-to person, it's going to be Bill Hybels. His leadership conferences there in, at uh, Willow Creek are some of the biggest in the world, if not the biggest. And then when you talk about, uh, you know, people as in being famous or well-known in the community, out in the world on TV and also writing books about purpose and being a leader and all that is Rick Warren. And so I just want to start off by saying, I believe each three of these men are Christians. I believe that uh, they are using the Bible to try to inspire greatness in people. I just don't think they're doing it to the best of what they should be. I think that they are falling prey to some mistakes and I think we need to help correct it. We, we are going to love them. The Bible says an open rebuke is better than hidden love. So I'm going to love them today. I'm going to love them. And if Bill Hybels wants to invite me to speak at his leadership conference, uh, this, this upcoming one, I would love to come and help bring the truth and a greater truth, I should say, of leadership. Now, somebody may say, well, well, Pastor, that just sounds really sassy of you. That sounds sassy of you, that you're going to correct Bill Hybels and, and, and uh, Rick Warren and, uh, uh, you know, John Maxwell. How, how prideful of you to do that. Well, I have a few problems with that. So let me just start with this. Uh, the first thing is, what about their pride? Right? What about their pride? What about their pride of always telling me and telling people that I'm discipling what they say leadership is? Isn't that that prideful? They keep writing books saying they know what it is. They know how to do it. Has anybody thought about them being in pride? Now, I'm not calling them prideful. I'm not. I'm just saying if you say me correcting their leadership teaching is prideful, I just want to say, well, aren't they prideful? Because they're correcting people that read their books. They're telling people in their books what, what leadership is. They give their examples and tell people to live up to those standards. So who gives them that right? Who gives them that right? You know, I believe the right of leadership comes from the Bible. It comes from discipleship. So now somebody goes, oh, okay, well, Joe, you're one of those. And maybe somebody tuned into this message here because they saw that I put in the title, Correcting Hybels, Maxwell, and Warren on Leadership. And now they just want to see, you know, who's this troublemaker, you know? Well, well, here's the thing. I'm just coming from the Bible. And if they go, oh, oh, you're one of those guys, you know, your way is the only way. And, you know, you're going to shoot arrows at the big boys. You don't know what it's like to be them. No, no, no. It has nothing to do with that has nothing to do with that. There, there's great leadership in great churches. You know, I, I don't know much about um, Gateway Church, but what I've read of him, he's a great leader, the pastor there. And I was just listening to him today. Great leader. Larry Stockstill, Bethany World Prayer Center. Great leader. Been to some of his conferences, okay? Um, and, and there's great leaders out there, okay? There's, there's great books on leadership. And I can name some towards the end, but I, it's not about names, but the reason why I'm correcting these people is because every time I get around uh, uh, people who in the church who want to talk about leadership, these are the names that keep coming up over 
over and over and over again. And people use them as an authority, like a trump card. Like, boom, I got you. This is, you know, this is what Maxwell said. Boom, this is what Heibel said. Oh, did you hear about Heibel's at the last conference? He had President Clinton there, and Clinton talked about this. Boom, you know. And then, oh, you know, Rick Warren said this. If Rick Warren came to your conference, if Rick Warren came and spoke on something, boom, there you go. The, the settled, it's settled now. No, no, no. See, my thing is, I'm not in pride and they're not in pride. We just have two different views of what leadership is. So let's not look at me being in pride because if you want to point the prideful finger at me, you better point it at them because they think they know what they're doing and they don't. And that's pride if you want to be honest about it. It's prideful to have another definition of something what God has clearly defined. If you have a definition of something in the Bible, and the Bible says this is what it is, and you come around and you change it, that, my friend, is pride. So let's get away from the pride. Let's get away from being easily offended. Let's do what we're supposed to do in colleges. Let's challenge ourselves. Let's grow. Amen? And then here's my last thing. We talked about this. That's why I had to have two, not just one, but two videos on defining leadership. Defining it, how definitions matter. Because right now, if somebody says, well, Joe, he has 20,000, Heibels has 20,000, and you only have 200, how dare you criticize him? You're just a little guy. My thing back to you is, hello, is anybody in there? Are you on? Jesus didn't have that many. Paul didn't have that many. So what, what are you saying? Paul couldn't teach Heibels on leadership? Are, are we that redonkulous in the 21st century? Are we that powerless in the 21st century that all we do is count numbers as our authority? We're that powerless. Paul, uh, James, you know, um, John, Peter and John said, silver and gold have we none. But what we have we give you. Rise up and walk. Now the church says silver and gold is what we have, but we ain't got no power to make you walk. We ain't got no power to make you walk, but we got silver and gold, baby. We got the Rockettes dancing on the stage. We got this. We got that. We got, the, you know, come on. No, 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 no. To hell with judging things by numbers. This isn't a popularity club. What does the Bible say? Because everybody who talks about numbers, they never want to talk about the cults. So you're going to tell me Apollo Quibloy, who's got over a million followers in the last 20 years claiming to be the false Christ, you're going to tell me he's an authority on leadership now? He's got a church five times, ten times the size of Hybels in Davao City, Philippines. Is he now the authority on leadership, that maniac, that blasphemous leader? Hello, somebody. When, when was the last time you thought to yourself, Hitler was an awesome leader? Well, did you ever think about how many followers he had? Did you ever think about all the influence he had? Well, by most people's definition, he was one of the best and greatest leaders. And that's my problem with these definitions. That's my problem with what these books are saying is they're not telling you, they're not pointing you back to Christ and discipleship. Because that's leadership. That's success. What is leadership? Leadership is discipleship. What is success? Doing the will of God. Does that work in the church world? Of course it works in the church world. Does it work outside of the church world? Yes, because last time I checked, he's the king of kings. He's just not the king of pastors. He's the king of kings. And every knee bows to him. And all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to him. And then maybe let me just add one more little, little nugget here. 
Because let's say they, they, they would say, well, pastor, I mean, they, they can't be telling everything wrong. I mean, there's things that we can learn from everybody. And that's true. That's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's things in Bill Hybels' books that I like. There's things in Rick Warren's book that I like. There's things in um, John Maxwell, Warren and Hybels. You know, those things in all of their books that I like. Great. Okay, but I'm not here to talk about how to win friends and influence people. I'm not here today to talk to you about how to better organize your calendar. I'm not here to talk to you as a foundation for how you can make more money. Okay, that's not what we should be learning primarily as leaders. So the foundation has to be laid that we have the goal, we have the target, and that is seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness and all these things being added unto us. So we should have a mindset of what we're aiming at. Now, if you want to, if, if, if I look at the world and I see I can learn something from Apple and I always love watching those movies about, you know, Steve Jobs and stuff, if I can learn something about creativity, yes. But my foundation doesn't change. My direction doesn't change. My problem is these men are laying down a lot of wrong foundations, wrong foundations, and as I said before, they could say it's for God's glory, but then my method, but if my, they could say my, uh, my message is for God's glory, but my method is for the glory of man. And they say, well, shouldn't that, shouldn't that add up, you know? And they don't really say it like that, but you get my point. They say, well, we're, we're churches, we're Christians. It is all for God's glory. And that is true. They have that message, right? But their methods don't match it. And let me just give an example before I move on. Let me just give an example before I move on. Bill Hybels has one of the greatest voices in the church world. How often do you see him publicly taking a stand against homosexuality, abortion, corruption? How often do you see him rebuking sin in the church? How often do you see him repenting on behalf of the sin in his own congregation? You never see a spokesman. You have all these people, and you just do these little services, these little shy things. And then when the thing with Starbucks, some of you don't know about that, when Starbucks CEO, because he's going to have him at his leadership conference, did not want to come because of his stance on homosexuality, he began to cower, he began to back down, they began to do the political dance. Instead of standing up going, we believe homosexuality is a sin, S-I-N, sin. And here's my point. Why are you bringing the CEO of Starbucks to your Christian leadership conference? And then you, get, you wonder why he don't want to come. And then you're trying to dance his dance. Well, we think it's, you know, just not God's best. And, you know, God has a better way. And all of us are sinners. Why don't you just tell him what Jesus told him? Repent, therefore, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You want me to list the things of what you need to repent for? Homosexuality. Repent for that. Repent for your stance on abortion. Repent for your stance on greed. Repent for your stance on the repent, 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 repent. Now let's talk about leadership. And when we get the CEO to come, let him hear our foundation, and then we can just ask him, well, we have a cafe in our church. What cups should we use? That will be helpful. Uh, what cash register should we use? What program should we use in accounting? Because that's all you're good for, Starbucks CEO. I don't want to learn anything else from you. I don't want your mindset. I don't want your worldview. Yeah, I can learn from you how to make a good cup of coffee. Thank you very much. I can use your wisdom on how to design a logo. Thank you very much. Yes, Daniel learned stuff in Babylon. Yes, he did. But he was a child of God, an Israelite, not eating the food of the pagans, not bowing his knee to their God. They knew Daniel was different. Amen? 
I don't need Starbucks CEO to come teach my people leadership. That's what I'm talking about. Y'all ready? Y'all ready for this? Y'all ready for a scripture? Come on, can we just go to a scripture? Let's just look at the Bible before we get into this, because that's just the introduction. You know that. You know it's just the introduction. Let's just go to the scriptures. Let's go to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. How do we define success? Doing the will of God. How do we know the will of God? But by the word of God. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. How many good works? Every. Is going to your job and being successful a good work? Does the word of God equip you for that? Yes, it does. Does being a mother or a father, is that a good work? Does the word of God equip you for that? Does being an inventor, a doctor, a lawyer, a politician, is that, can that be a good work? Amen. Does God's word equip you for that? Amen. What was Oxford? What was Princeton? What was Yale? What was Harvard? What was Northeastern? Hello? What was Oberlin? What were all these colleges, Bible colleges, founded by ministers, founded by people who knew the word of God? The word of God will make you the best doctor. The word of God will make you the best politician. The word of God will make you the best mother. The word of God will make you the best CEO. Amen? That's our foundation. And it does four things, as I showed you before. The gospel pie does four things. Because you take three right here. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Rather, that's four there. That's uh, four. But then you go down to, uh, to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. Preach the word. Be prepared in season, out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and instruction. So you put those two things together. you got correct, rebuke, encourage, train in righteousness. Those are the four things the word of God should do. Because why? In verse 3. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. The time has come. It is now. People don't put up with sound doctrine. They don't want to hear about the blessed triunity of God. They don't want to hear about the blessed virgin birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and his miraculous death on the cross for our sins, the imputation of our guilt upon him and him taking the wrath of God for us, raising from the dead. See, for them, that's nothing to do with leadership. But to me, it has everything to do with leadership. The triune God created us in his image to be relational beings and have dominion over the earth. Don't you think that has something to do with relationship? God coming in the form of man, living a perfect, righteous life, taking our sin, raising from the dead, declaring his lordship, giving us authority to make disciples. Don't you think that has to do with leadership? For the glory of God, everything exists through Jesus Christ. For from him and for him and through him. For from him, through him, and for him are all things. Amen? Amen. From him. For him and through him are all things. For the time will come when people will not put up a sound doctrine. Instead of suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths. This is a myth. This world is promoting a myth that greed is good, that godliness is bad, that compromise is good. That holiness is bad. That conviction is wrong. Uh, tolerance is good. This is what you hear, and this is what permeates all forms of leadership. I don't want to have anything to do with it. Amen? I don't want anything to do with this Babylonian system. I'm not with the whore who rides the beast, the woman who gets drunk off the blood of the saints. I am not with the false system of the Antichrist. I am in the church of Jesus Christ, the bride that is spotless, 
and pure. Hallelujah. Awaiting her soon and coming groom. And we will do things his way for his glory. And we'll do it in love. I love Bill Hybels. I love Bill Hybels. I'm not angry at him. Look at me, Bill. I love you. <laughs> I love you, Rick. But Rick, come here. Come sit on Poppy's lap. Let Daddy remind you of the Bible again. And I don't mean that in pride. I mean it in jest a little bit. But come sit here, son. Come sit on my lap. You've been having too many people blow smoke around you. You've been having too many people tell you you're the bee's knees. You need to come, come sit on my lap again and learn the word of God. Sit under a man that doesn't care about what you've done and what you've accomplished and what senator and president you've met. I don't care. I don't care. Are you a disciple, sir? Do you make disciples? Do you fear God? When you're on these stations, do you preach the gospel? Do men know where you stand? Do you have a conviction? Come here, John Maxwell. Get on the word of God. I'll teach it to you if you don't know it. This world needs to be woken up again. Wake up from the dead, you sleeper, and Christ will shine on you. Stop buying into the bobo of this world. Like because they have some money that they've proved it. Because they filled up some stadiums, they've proved it. They ain't nothing. In the world's economy, they ain't nothing but a drop in the bucket. They're worth millions. The world's leaders are worth billions. They have a few hundred thousand followers on Twitter. All of them combined maybe have a million. Just alone, Justin Bieber has 20 million. My friends, they don't care about you. You think they care about you? Ask anybody on these streets if they know you. They don't know T.D. Jakes. They don't know Bill Hybels. They don't know Rick Warren. But they know Little Wayne. They know all the Lady Gaga lyrics. They don't care about you. You ain't influencing them. The world doesn't care about us. The world doesn't come to us and go, oh, you guys are so smart. They use us. They use us. When the politicians want us, then they come to us. When the businessman wants to look at, then he comes to us. My friends, we don't have influence. They don't fear God. They don't look at us and go, I fear God in you. You're a prophet, a holy man of God. They look at us just as if we're salesmen. Salesmen, just selling our pitches. I remember when I sat down with the alderman, unbeknownst to me, that probably at that same time, the alderman of Wicker Park, Marino, what's his name, Marino? Marano, whatever. He was denying Chick-fil-A the access to come and put that Chick-fil-A in Chicago. If you guys remember, that was a big deal back then. I sat down with him and had to get permission to put a church in this property. The conversation only lasted a few seconds. Hey, this is what we want to do here. What do you think about it? Well, no, no big deal to me. That's okay. And then he said, well, what kind of church are you? And I said, I'm the kind of church that believes the Bible. I'm the kind of church that believes what the Bible says. And then he said, what do you think about homosexuality? And I said, I think it's a sin according to the Bible. And I began to speak to the alderman about sin, about righteousness. And he understood he was talking to a man of God that didn't fear him. Because I'm not here to fear him. I'm here to fear God. And that's who the people who founded this nation were. You see, we used to put over our churches holiness unto the Lord. We used to put in our church's holiness unto the Lord. Now we say nobody's perfect. Everybody, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. 
Well, I guess that, what's wrong with the pastor? Well, he ain't perfect. What, he has a girlfriend? Okay, well, I guess ain't nobody perfect. You used to say, holiness unto the Lord. When you used to meet with the man of God, you knew he was a man of God. He wasn't trying to swindle this politician and work with this politician. Got his hands in the, in the mud with all of them. I don't have anything for this world except the gospel. Now, for our people in the church, they have to work within this world, and we'll give them the wisdom to be as wise as serpents and as shrewd as, as, as wise as, as serpents and as shrewd. No, no. As, as wise as doves and as shrewd as serpents. I need some wisdom. Getting fired up to be as wise as doves and as what? Shrewd serpents. See, that's how we'll teach them. But we as Christians, God have mercy. I'm so sick and tired of it. It's like, I, I just, I'll preach this whole thing again. I'm so tired of people calling the game the church when they're playing with Nerf balls on a five-foot uh, uh, basketball court. It ain't the game. This, you're playing the wrong game. You just, you just got people who like what you say. Hello. Oh, my goodness. See, these people don't even go street witnessing. I wish I could just get them to go street witnessing with me. Come on, Bill. Just go street witnessing with me. Okay, do your tap dance and do your whole thing. See what they say now. Oh, well, I just want to serve them. I'll serve them. Okay, well, after you give them your coffee, after you give them this, tell them about Jesus. Tell them about their sin. See how they like you now. Hello. Go in front of your congregation and read Romans chapter 3 to your congregation this Sunday. No one is righteous, not even one. There is none that seeks God. Read the whole thing to them and then point your finger at that congregation and say, if you're not born again, that is you. Well, I can't preach it the way Paul preached it. I have to be more slick now because, you know, the message remains the same, but the, meth, uh, you know, the methods change. Oh, you mean you can't read all the Bible in your church? You can't read the whole thing in your church? Have, have you ever read? I mean, I just want to know. I, I've, I've heard a lot of preaching, but have you ever read Hebrews 10, 26 to them? If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. Have you even read the scripture in your church? And then you want to talk to me about leadership. You are a weak-kneed, yellow-bellied coward. I have nothing to learn from you about church leadership. Read this scripture in your church and I'll start to respect you. Talk about sin. Talk about what God said. Do it with a smile on your face. I don't care. Do it with tears coming down your eyes. But tell them the truth. Now we build in the church. Now we with Christ and he's building his church in us and through us. That's why I love Francis Chan. Francis Chan had a mega church, and he said, there's too much here for me to try to flip this thing around and make it a discipleship church. I'm just going to start over again. And then you read some of his blogs as he start over again. He says, it's so discouraging because I got so little of people. Yeah, Francis, because all that time you were doing the, you were doing the mega church tap dance. You had them all with you. They all loved you then. But once you started making disciples like Christ, you came... You came to where, where I've been and other people have been. Where the best of us struggle and fight with blood, sweat, and tears just to get 100 disciples. Now we're finally at 150 disciples. 80% of our church in discipleship. But blood, sweat, and tears, everything to get that. The same effort I put here, if I was putting towards the tap dancing, 
of this American lukewarm megachurch world, that's the equivalent of 10,000. And then you want me to read their books now. I have nothing to read from their books. Have them read my book. Oh, you say that's pride. See, then we go right back to where you want me to read their book, but you don't want me to have them go read my book. So who's the one in pride now? You're the one pushing books. You're the one pushing stuff. You're the one pushing it. You're the one telling us this is, this, is the, this is what leadership is. And now we're saying, no, this is what leadership is. Well, I don't, I don't know him, but I know you, so I'm going to give you. Well, go get to know him, and when you know him, go give him my book then. I used to have people tell me that all the time. Well, you got to go meet my pastor. You got to go meet my pastor. Give him my number and tell him to come meet me. Oh, but he's too busy. You don't think I'm busy? What's he busy doing? What's he a little busy? What's he a little busy be doing? Bzz, bzz. I got to meet with this board. Bzz, bzz. I got to do this office work. Bzz. I'm busy winning souls, Jack. I'm busy making disciples. You want me to stop doing the busyness of the Lord? So this little busy bee, who's a who's a who's a professional politician pimping in the church behind the pulpit, so I can sit in his desk, sit behind his desk, and have him look at me and give me some nuggets that he learned from Leah Iacocca or Steve Jobs or some book he read on leadership, good to great. Hello. Have him meet me on the streets. Let's see what he's made out of. I love what Paul said. I want to see what you all made out of. Because the kingdom of God is just not a matter of talk. It's about power and demonstration in the Holy Spirit. Show me what you're made out of. Show me just like they do with uh, Ray Comfort. Let me see Rick Warren walk the streets and preach the gospel. Show me the power of the gospel you preach. Show me the power. You're all that and then some in a bag of chips. You wrote all these books on it. Show me. Show me. Show me what it looks like for a disciple to suffer for Christ. Don't show me a disciple living in some pristine palace where everybody applauds him and likes him and he says just enough on each side to keep the balance. Oh, I just got to keep enough of the Christian people happy so they buy the books. And I got to keep enough of the, the worldly people happy so they keep putting me on their shows. Hello. You know, that's why you could say, like I said, I disagree with a lot of the reform guys, but you could say what you want about John MacArthur, but when he gets on those shows, he shoots it so straight, they don't even know what's coming at him. Because he's just going to tell them what the gospel says. And I, I just, I'm so disappointed that we in the church don't know the difference anymore. And now the same thing is with, uh, I see Michael Brown coming to the aid of um, the world, uh, you know, the, the IHOP guy, Mike Bickle. Because Mike Bickle is, I think, supporting Cruz or one of those guys. And they've gone back and found some of his preaching, and it kind of causes a mess. I pray that both these men, Mike Bickle and Michael Brown, stand in the word of God and say, let God be true and every man a liar. We're not ashamed of our preaching. Put every one of you, put this sermon on C CNN. I'm not ashamed of it. This world has lost their mind. Go read, oh my gosh, go read Jonathan Edwards' message, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, and you'll think this was a Sunday school lesson. I ain't even half the man of God that them men were, and I pray that I can be that. John Wesley, Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, Charles Spurgeon, Charles Finney, these men feared God over man. 
And men knew who they were. Men didn't come to get their itch, their uh, ears itched. They came to have the truth. They came to get corrected, rebuked, and trained in righteousness. And yes, it encourages the soul. Are you encouraged? I'm encouraged. I'm so happy right now. I'm so happy. And everybody knows how happy I am. I live a happy life. And I'll tell you, when we get into this stuff right now, as we're about ready to, I'm telling you, I, if I meet Bill Hybels, he comes over there at Trinity, I'll give him a big hug and say, I love you, but we need to talk. I'll do the same thing to Rick Warren. I love you, man. I love you. I'll pay him some compliments, butter him up a little bit, just make him feel not like I like him. And then I'll tell him, let's, let's talk. Let's get down to the nitty gritty. Let, let's, let's discuss this thing. Let's stop pretending this is what the Bible says. Are you all ready for this? Yeah. Come on, somebody say, I'm ready. I'm ready. Don't take my word for it. Read it out of their own words. Let's start now with John Maxwell. Definition of leadership. Leadership is influence. Nothing more, nothing less. Those are his words. That, that's his words. This is the leadership guru of the church age, and this is what he comes up with. I'm, I'm going to say this in all politeness, but you would have thought if I didn't put John Maxwell, and some of y'all new to this, if I wouldn't have put John Maxwell and I would have said a nincompoop said, leadership is influence, nothing more and nothing less, you would have said That's, that, that is correct. A nincompoop would say that. If I said a cotton-headed ninnymongan said, leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less, you'd be like, that is what a cotton-headed ninnymongan would say. But this is a leadership guru. This is a guy that I'm telling you every major pastor out there loves this man. They think he's the smartest man on leadership. They think this is God's gift to the church age. And, and, and I thank God for, for the Trinity school that I go to where they get to have some diversity brought in because my, my professor there rocked this definition. I mean, who couldn't rock this definition? You're telling me leadership is influence? And then you qualify it by saying nothing more. Nothing more. Don't, don't think you got to make more on leader uh, influence to clarify. No, no, no. Just by itself, influence, leadership. Nothing more, nothing less. Well, if that's true and leadership simply influence, then Christians need to admit that immoral dictators like Hitler, Stalin, and Mao Zedong, who killed over 100 million people combined, were some of the greatest leaders in the world because of their great influence. Hello. God have mercy on us. What are we, what are we doing? Come on, guys. Look at this from your point of view as a student right now. What are we doing? What spirit have we allowed in the church to convince us this is wisdom? Going back to the Holy Scriptures, the Bible says, oh, in um, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all Scripture is God-breathing and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Did you get that definition, sir, from the Bible? Is your definition, leadership is influence, did that come from the Bible? Yes or no? Come on, guys, yes or no? no? Have you ever even heard of something like that in your Bible? That leadership is influence. The drug dealer is a good leader then. He influences. Hello. 
My friend works at a strip club, gives the girls names, and has them dance and shake their stuff. Influence, good leader. Leadership, there you go. The DJ at the strip club got influence. The corrupt politician, the good politician, both the same influence. The greedy man, the humble man. They have influence, they're both leaders. What is that? Nonsense. And yet we eat it up. Oh, man, that's so deep. You know, and, and yeah, you know, you can be a bad leader and have bad influence, and you can be a good leader and have good influence. So, so he's going to try to qualify throughout his time. But hold on, no, 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 no. You, 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 you already told us. You already told us what you said it was. You can't come back now and qualify it. You've already told me nothing more, nothing less. So now you can't tell me that I'm going to qualify good leadership, bad leadership, and psychotic leadership. No, no, no. You, you didn't put that in your definition. You, you just told me leadership. So my friends, now who's to decide who's good and bad? Oh, well, now we go to the Bible. Well, why didn't you go to the Bible with your definition? If you're now going to start telling me here's the difference between bad and good leaders is from the Bible or from whatever else you read, which I, I don't even have time to get into a full evaluation of him because this is, this is my paper, not his paper. Amen. I just wanted to show you a little bit of the silliness that's out there. I remember taking notes in a leadership class and, and you know, in SUM, one of the guys was teaching out of this and we were taking the notes and I'm just like, where's the Bible in this? Where, where is any of this? Because even in his qualifications, I don't see a lot of the Bible in there. Like you can read 21 indispensable uh, laws of leadership by him. That's one of his most popular ones and what you'll find like little verses as proof text just thrown around. Hello. Come on, somebody. Be real. Be honest. Can I get an Amen. So if leadership is influence, then we have absolutely no definition to stand on. What's a better definition? I'm just going to skip around here on this paper because I want to help you today. Can I help you today as I help myself? Amen. I need this badly. Let me give you a definition. You're skipping around. As we said from the beginning, you tell me if this sounds like the Bible. First of all, it has Jesus' name in it, so it's got to be closer than his. Amen. <laughs> At least has Jesus in there somewhere. <laughs> I mean, I'd sound silly, and I am kind of being silly, but I mean, dude, your definition of leadership, nothing more, nothing less, doesn't even have God or Jesus in it. How in the world? So nothing more would mean like if you added Jesus into that definition, it would be wrong now. He don't even, see, don't, you see how people think, and they don't even think through the consequences of what they're saying? And yet they want to push it on us, and you'll be in some leadership class, you'll hear that, and you'll be like, oh, yeah. Because, you know, it will be convincing the way they tell it, but, you're, but as a student, you're not even kicking back going, Hold on, shouldn't I have God in my definition? You know, I mean, I'm being serious. When I talk about leadership is discipleship and all authority belongs to, to God, heaven, and earth, that's mind-blowing to people. Even in our church, as we did this as a leadership devotional this, this month, and I was having them listen to the first video, it was like, man, I never saw the Great Commission like that. All authority in heaven and earth is mine. And it, it's, it's not to say they were being ignorant. It's just that a lot of people don't spend time thinking about what leadership is. And those of us in the church should help them. Yes. We should help them. If Jesus said all authority, Matthew 28, on heaven and earth belongs to me, then anything to do with leadership is going to belong to him. So leadership has to have him, the definition of it has to belong to him somewhere, doesn't it? So what is leadership? It's grounded upon loving relationships with God and people that are revealed by the Holy Spirit 
in serving and equipping others to reflect the image of God within their purpose for the glory of God through Jesus Christ. Now somebody said, well, I just think that's too many words. Just see some of the highlights here. Leadership is loving relationships revealed by God, equipping people to reflect God's image within their purpose. You, you get that? So you, you, got, you got grounded relationships, revealed, serving, equipping, purpose, God. Do you see that? You see these components in there? You, you've, got, you've got some more that John Maxwell didn't think we needed. No, leadership is not just influence. Leadership is loving. Leadership is loving. So that's why when someone doesn't do it, they're a bad leader. And they're not doing true leadership. They're not reflecting the purpose of true leadership. When God is not in the definition of leadership, man makes his right and wrongs. Man sails his own ship of the, on the wind of his opinion. So we go back to John Maxwell, and we start to see that if we do not have more given to what leadership is, we are now in trouble. We need more. We need more than saying leadership is influence. Nothing more and nothing less. We need more than that, don't we? Okay, now let's go to, um, let's go to Bill Hybels. Bill Hybels, founding pastor of Willow Creek, the loudest voice of the seeker movement. Like I said, probably has the largest leadership gathering in the world, not just in America, in the world. He wrote a book called Axiom, subtitled Powerful Leadership Proverbs, and never in the book, never delved into the life of Jesus the doctrines of the apostles and their leadership in the church, or even the standards of a disciple set forth in the epistles. And he called his book Axiom. Axiom literally means that it's an established rule or principle. He didn't write a book called Great Leadership Ideas I've Learned Over the Years, but he named it Axiom, Established Rules and Principles. Now, if you write a book called Axiom, Establish Rules and Principles on Leadership, leadership, and put it in there that this is the established rule and principle, and you don't have the God who establishes everything, you, my friend, are foolish. Some of you don't even believe me, or some may be watching. I know most of you probably believe me, but I'll just show you right here. This, I'll just give you the chapter names of the book. And you just tell me if these are the established rules. Look at your Bible. Think of your Bible as I read some of these chapters. And you tell me if they appear to you to be established rules in the Bible. Axiom. These established rules. Let's, listen, let's look at some of the church uh, covers here. Uh, uh, chapters, rather. Let's look right here. This is a book on leadership. Language matters. Make the big ask. You're always in a season. Explosive growth equals dramatic meltdowns. Vision, paint the picture passionately. Bold move, an owner or a hireling. Higher tens, the fair exchange value. Take a flyer, vision leaks, values need heat. My friend, these are the epitome of worldly discussions. Look, look at you're looking at a chapter 14 right here. Values need heat. You, you see the words. Oh you, oh, you can't see it, can you? 
Okay, there's no way I can put it in front of you on this thing. But here is a whole chapter. These are called axioms. Axioms. Do you guys understand? The did, I, did I not teach you guys that definitions matter? Yes. If you call something an axiom, it better be established by who? Jesus. By God. Jesus, right? By the triune God of heaven and earth. Amen. Right? You're looking at this, right? You look at it. Look right here. Can you see it? You see chapter 14. Okay, this is a chapter called, this is an axiom, axiom 14. Oh, it's so deep, Bill. Teach us. We need to hear it. Okay, look at it. Look at it. Show me when you see a scripture. Any reference to a Matthew, to a John, to a, to, to a Jesus, to an Acts, to a Luke. Tell me when we're done with that chapter. Right? You see anything? We're done. Done. Did you see any scripture in a chapter named an axiom? An axiom of leadership. Who founded the heavens and the earth? Who put the earth upon the seas? God did. Who causes the sun to rise? Hallelujah. And the moon to rotate. And the oceans and all. Who does that? Everything is from him and through him and for him. And you're going to waste my time. Waste my time with your make-believe axioms. God is the one who holds all things together. Right here. Another chapter. Chapter 13. Tell me if you see a, tell me if you see a scripture. Tell me if you see a scripture. This is another axiom. Done. You've just went through two axioms and you haven't even seen one Bible verse. One. Well, you know why? Because he wants the CEO of Starbucks to read it. That's why. The same, the same CEO that won't come to his conference because the CEO of Starbucks has enough common sense to go, you have a different worldview than me. But you're acting like a little sneaky snake not telling us. Because we know somewhere you have written down you can't be in a homosexual relationship and be a member. You don't preach about it much. Most people wouldn't know. So the Starbucks CEO wanted to expose it to the world. There's your buddy. There's the guy you wrote the book for to help him become a better leader. Can't talk about Jesus too much. Don't want to turn him off. You got to take steps to bring him in. Oh, yeah, because that's what Jesus did all the time. He said, Peter, don't tell them I'm here. You just go and talk to them a little bit about life, life skills. And then when they're ready, then I'll pop out from around the corner and go, hello. What really he was telling you was about the things I teach, but he did it in such a way to make you think it was about something else. But I'm here. So, Peter, go out there and do parenting conferences. Go out there and do anger-management conferences. And then at the end, at the end, after you've done three weeks of teaching about anger-management, then I want you to come out at the end and go, and now I want you to meet Jesus. Surprise, here's Jesus. Because that's what Jesus did. Oh, yeah, and that's what the apostles did, too. They, they didn't really preach boldly. No. No, Stephen didn't do that. No, the, the gospel preacher, Stephen, he just stood up and told everybody how to win friends and influence people. And he said, Jewish people, we got so much in common. Let's just talk about that. Stephen got stoned the first time he preached. What are you preaching? What are you doing? Every leadership book would call him a failure. All of these, I should say, not every, but all of these would call him a failure. You failed, Stephen. 
You cotton-headed ninny-moggin. Don't you know these guys are already heated up? They, they crucified Jesus. They already got problems. Why are you going to come and shake your finger in their face now and tell them that they're the ones who crucified Jesus? Why are you going to now come to them, Stephen, and tell them that they're the ones that did it and they're responsible? Don't you know that's going to cause problems? You're not going to be able to win friends and influence people, Stephen. Stephen, Stephen. Stephen, the, the synagogue doesn't like it when you do that. So if you want to be with the synagogue, Stephen, you, you can't do that. Look at Stephen here, Acts chapter 7. Go and tell him the whole story here. This is what he says. He's preaching the whole Bible to them. Praise God. He's, he wasn't afraid of any scripture here. The whole Bible. He tells them the whole story. Yeah, uh, literally Genesis all the way to the end, all the way through Malachi. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were so excited. They said, Apple, you better come next year because it's so great. Starbucks loved it. No, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, hallelujah, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. Don't look to earth, friends. Look to the glory of God. Don't look to the things of this world. Don't look to nickels and noses and the approval of men. Look to God in his glory. I love what John Wesley said. I set myself on fire that others can watch me burn. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. Jesus standing at the right hand. And he said, look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at his right hand. At this they covered their ears. They covered their ears, my friends. Isn't this a shame and a pity for their own lack of trust in God? And they began yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Isn't that something? Are we ashamed of that man? See, this is, this is why. This is why I say, Bill, come up here. Come up here and get you some. Get you some word of God. Enough of that ear-tickling nonsense. Come get it. Because you will not make Stephen out to be a failure around me. You will not. You will not around me. You will not make Jesus Christ look like a less than. You will not. You act like that, you are a spiritual babe. If you even know Christ, because we don't know. But I'll go on their testimony that they do. But you act like a spiritual babe. You need a papa. You need a papa. You need a Paul to come put you over his knee and spiritually spank some sense into you and godly discipline you and sit you down for a little while. So that the next time you come before your people, you come in fear and trembling. And you come shaking. With tears coming down your eyes like Jeremiah or Isaiah or John the Baptist. And you start saying, guys, I was wrong. I was so wrong. Jesus' eyes are like fire. And they're burning for his church. And he's looking for a holy bride. We need to repent and get right with him. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. Woo! I feel Jesus. If you've seen Jesus, you've got his heart. And you're going to tell people, I know him. 
And he is a God of love, but he's also a God of judgment. He's a God of wrath. And the wrath of his just anger is already upon us. We need to repent and kiss the son lest he be angry. Oh, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And we need to prepare the people for his coming. We need to teach them the ways of God. Oh, I love it when my children know the ways of God. I love it when they know the things of the Holy Spirit. These are our heroes, the people of God, our missionaries, our teachers, our martyrs. Hallelujah. We're not ashamed of them. Stephen was a great leader. Lord, may I be like Stephen. May I be as bold as him, Lord. May I live like Stephen, oh God, because he didn't have a long life, but he had a powerful one. He had a life of loving God and people and helping reflect the image of God and others' purpose. He showed the Jewish people what their purpose was. He showed them the image of God. They covered their ears. They didn't want to hear it, but he showed them. Oh, Lord, make us like that again. Amen. Amen. And then when we come now to Rick Warren, to me, I don't have as much to say to him, but I do uh, have to say a little bit because he's wrote these books on the purpose-driven church and the purpose-driven life, and you can't but help but wonder. I mean, my goodness, you've, you, you've told me what everything's about then, life and church, the glory of God in me and through me in the church. There, there is nothing else really you, you could cover. Uh, my work is in my life. My family's in my life. The church is what remains forever. I mean, literally, the two subjects that, that encompass everything. Literally everything. At one point when he talks about the church, because this is a church class, I can't even get into the purpose-driven life, which unbelievers love, uh, which blows my mind. Uh, you know, Oprah Winfrey loves it. I went down, when I would go to the boys club, uh, boys town, and meet the gay community, they would tell me all the time, or at least this one time I should say rather, love that book, and they were still living in homosexuality. So whatever they got as a purpose wasn't God's purpose, but that's another story. But this is what he says in the book when it comes to, when it comes to uh, growing the church and seeing success and those things. He says, however, or, or, or Warren wrote, every church must eventually decide whether it's going to be structured for control or for growth. Now look how he says that. Every church is going to decide, are we going to control stuff here? Or are we going to let this thing grow here? This is one of the most crucial decisions your church will ever face. For your church to grow, both the pastor and the people must give up control. The people must give up control of the leadership, and the pastor must give up control of the ministry. Uh, otherwise, either party can become a bottleneck for growth. Now, that kind of sounds almost spiritual in a sense. Well, you know, pastor can't be in control, leadership can't be in control, but then who's in control? <laughs> who's the one setting up the stuff then? He never even says. He doesn't say it's all about God, and then he teaches us how to speak in tongues and seek the manifestation of the Spirit. No, what he basically says in this book is that we both have to admit that it's no longer about our ways or what we think is best. It's about whatever the people need to grow, whatever the outsider needs to do to grow. We need to be there to facilitate it. So it's not about the pastor's calling over a congregation to shepherd, which has already been given by the Bible and where the control is supposed to be in the presbytery and the leadership. And it's not supposed to be in the people, the disciples who are out there living by the word of God. No, it's supposed to be in some ambiguous survey, trial by error, customer feedback that will grow your church. 
Because he's the one that went door to door asking people, if I planned a church here, what would you want it to be? How long would you want the service to be? That was what he was known for when he started his church, is taking the surveys of what would you want the church to be. So what do they say? Well, we kept the message the same. We just shortened up our services a little bit. And then we changed our worship style to about this long. And then we only talk about things like this every now and then. Why? Because we don't want the disciples to feel like they're in charge of what the Bible says to do for them. And we don't want the pastor or the leadership to feel like they're in charge. No, we need to let the surveys and the customer feedback tell us how we're growing. Because if we don't do that, then we're controlling it. So once again, if Rick Warren were to come here and see our church of 150 disciples and 200 attendees, he would, he would probably say, bad pastor. Your discipleship program's too tough. Bad pastor. Your discipline here is too tough. Bad pastor. I wrote the book on purpose, and have you done a survey to see if your worship service is too long? Bad pastor. Do you do spiritual gifts at the altar and freak out the visitors? You would want to slap me on the wrist. He would want to come around here and say, let me tell you, I'll get you to a thousand. We'll start taking surveys. Stop controlling it. Stop letting the disciples control the atmosphere with their hunger for God. Stop letting the pastor control it with a call from God and a word to preach and correct and rebuke. Let's get the surveys out and let them decide how long they want worship and how comfortable they are with spiritual gifts. That's supposed to be the purpose-driven church. The purpose-driven church. You mean, you mean the church is supposed to be driven by purpose? Hold on. I thought the church was driven by God's glory. What about the glory-driven church? Hello. What about God's glory driving the church and everybody getting in line with that? How about we look up to heaven and not to earth and get our vision for the church? If you don't believe me, read it. There's good things in there. How to fill out visitor cards. Yeah, there's a lot of good things in there, but it will lead you astray. It's not the best. And that's why when I say they want to come and slap us on the wrist, and then when I say, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are telling me it's about purpose and not God's glory? Who do you think you are? Because God told me how to build the church, and I'm going to build it his way, and I'm going to do it led by the Spirit. And if my numbers don't impress you, I'm sorry I'm not good enough to play in your little make-believe league. But I'm playing in the real league, and the devil knows who I am. The devil knows who I am, and he knows what I came to do. And that's to bring the glory of God to this earth. Amen? So I would say to all three of them, bring me to your church. I don't need to bring you. I don't need to have your books read by my people. Bring me to your church. Bring me to your conferences, and let's see the difference. Let's see the difference. And I won't even do it as sassy as I'm doing it right now. I'll just go right through my discipleship book. And you watch how many of those people you think are on your team get offended. Why? Because they're using you. Because they want success of this world and call it God's success. They want to change a definition. 
I want to know what God told us to do, and I want to do it right. And those are the people I want to run with, amen? And I believe you should run with them too. It's a lot funner that way. And I mean fun in the sense of doing the glory of God. Because even though his body was getting destroyed, Stephen was having the greatest day of his life. That was the best life now, amen? Don't even get me started on Joe Osteen because that is a lie. But if you look at it true, like what John Piper and these guys say, your best life is now with Christ. And it may lead you to stoning, and it may lead you to that, but that's the greatest thing that you can have. The glory of God revealed through you. Amen? Amen. We will overcome him, and we have, by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, not loving our lives unto death. Let's give them the word of God. Let's give them, this, this world, a true definition of leadership. Because if we have the right definition, we can then implement it into our people. And then the ones who come to our church, they can be the best doctors and lawyers and all of those wonderful things. Let's not look at leadership as just merely influence. No, leadership is discipleship for the glory of God, doing the will of God. Right? Let's not just look at uh, axioms as whatever we think works, pragmatism, as I've talked about before. Let's make our axioms on the word of God and say, here's where we lay down our, our, our stance and our foundation. And let us make our purpose the glory of God and let that drive us. Let that be our motivation. Because as we get next week, we're going to start looking at some of these surveys and assessments that I put up. Because I'm not just a bunch of talk and sass. I'm a doer of the word, amen? And if people are saying, well, you just can't tear them all down and not replace it with anything, I got something to replace it with. I got something to replace it with right now, and God will be glorified, amen? God will be glorified. So I don't just say it to be mean and and, and nasty. I do it to be right and and holy, but I got something better to replace it with. And you guys already know it because it's already in your Bible. I'm just going to help you lay it out. That's it. I'm just going to help you lay out what's already in your Bible, what you've already felt, what you've already seen. And nine times out of ten when I talk to pastors, they go, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, it makes sense. I may disagree a little bit, but it makes sense. But, you know, we're all too afraid to say something because these are kind of like the gurus. And this is the way everybody's been doing it. So we just might as well just get in line and do it with them so we can get our picture taken with them so we can have them come to our conference. You know, don't want to upset the boat. Because i got a big conference coming up, and if I offend this guy, then that guy won't come, and this guy won't come. Nobody will come. Well, you know what? To hell with all that. Let's do what Jesus said. Amen? Amen. Let's, get the, let's, let's bring down heaven and send hell back to hell. Amen? Are you guys ready? Come on, let's do it. <laughs> Woo! Love you, Jesus.